Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers, teachers, and, you know, whoever you might be, you're welcome to. I'm Tim McNinch. <laughs> and I'm Rachel Wren, and we are very happy to have you here, whoever you might be. This week, we are tackling the text for July 5th, 2020, the day after Independence Day. It is the fifth Sunday after Pentecost, and we are coming at you with a great story. The, these Genesis stories are just some fantastic ones. So this is Genesis 24, a smattering of verses, 34 to 38. 42, 49, 58 to 67, and the one who is going to uh, weave all this smattering together, even though that's mixing metaphors, we're going to run with it, is our very <laughs> own Tim McNinch. So, Tim, what do you got for us on this one? Yeah, I'm going to try weaving some smatterings. That, that sounds... <laughs> messy. <laughs> that does sound messy. <laughs> I think I think it sort of makes sense in this case for the lectionary to have pulled uh, a few chunks out of the story because it's it's quite a lengthy story and there's a lot of repetition in it. So what the lectionary has done is sort of grabbed sort of one one storyline through here and pulled that together. So that makes sense. Sure. And really, on on the one hand, this is a pretty straightforward story: the story of finding Rebecca and bringing her back to Mary Isaac. It's one that's generally at home in its cultural context. These sorts of uh, marriages were routinely negotiated by the family patriarchs. And in this story, as we read through it, all of the usual negotiating protocols, they're all present here in this story. So that's not really what makes this story unique. What makes it remarkable isn't so much the unfolding of the plot as the story's literary context and its kind of peculiar theological focus. So it's it's literary context, like where it falls in the Genesis narrative? Yeah, exactly. So like, for example, uh, if you were reading through this, who would you say was sort of the central character in the story? Um, I think I would either choose Rebecca or actually Abraham's servant. Right. They both kind of played leading roles in the unfolding of the plot. And in a sense, both of them are really in the foreground. And you have other characters like Isaac, who's there in the background, and other folks too, but I, I think the actually the really central character of the story is wait for it Abraham. Oh, okay. <laughs> which is kind of a surprise. And I have to say right away that I know that sounds patriarchal to make a story that seems to be all about a strong female character into a story that's all about the patriarch. <laughs> uh, and I acknowledge that. Uh, but this is actually part of the context of this ancient literature. Genesis is actually quite formal in the way that it divides up its narrative sections. And so even though we're into Isaac's adulthood already in this story, it's still placed in Abraham's cycle as part of Abraham's story. Mm -hmm. Genesis doesn't make that switch into Isaac and Rebekah's story formally until uh, chapter 25, 19 which incidentally is where the lectionary picks up next week, and you're going to have some uh, insights for us on that text mm -hmm. next week. Uh, so this is still Abraham's story, and this is why the literary context is so important. The one big thread that runs through Abraham's whole story is God's promise of a nation of offspring, mm -hmm. a promise that encounters obstacle after obstacle, that needs to be overcome by God's power, one after another after another. And so really, this story in that context is one of those obstacle stories. Mm. Okay, so if 
if folks are uncomfortable calling this a story about Abraham because of the patriarchal issues, maybe they can reach back to those themes and talk about how this story continues the themes that are central to the Abraham story. It's not yet about the themes that are going to be central to the Isaac and Jacob story. This is still really firmly in the narrative that comes before. Would that be a fair way to talk about it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I... Preachers don't need to kind of get into all of the structure of Genesis in a sermon, but it helps for a preacher to understand how this fits in its context and why certain themes are there. I would still say, you know, lift up Rebecca in this story. (laughs) This is, in a way, her story, and I think that's appropriate to do. But just know as you're interpreting that the reason uh, the, the problems and how they're overcome are placed in the story is because they're part of that theme of Abraham's larger cycle. Mm, okay. So so what kind of obstacles and, and problems then from the larger Abraham cycle are you seeing in this story? The sort of impossible child, Isaac. Uh, Isaac's been born. He has reached adulthood. But since Abraham and his clan are technically in foreign territory in Canaan, the distinctiveness of Abraham's unique relationship with God is once again threatened because the natural thing would be for Isaac to take a wife from the local population, mm-hmm. which would come along with her culture and her gods. Right. And just like that, everything that God has done to set apart Abraham and his descendants goes poof in one generation. Mm-hmm. And so in this story, Abraham sends his trusted servant on a quest, kind of mm-hmm. a fool's quest, on the off chance that he might bump into an eligible bachelorette from his kin in his old hometown, who would then be willing to leave everything to marry a stranger in a strange land sight unseen. And what are the chances of that actually happening, huh? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But it does. It does. That's exactly what happens. By God's astonishing providence, as the story brings out, the servant finds Rebecca, and she does. She returns with him to marry Isaac. In fact, this, the author of this story is so enthusiastic about the way that God orchestrated all of this for Abraham's sake that they tell the whole story twice, once while it's happening, and then a second time when the servant recalls the whole thing to Laban, which is uh, the part that we're reading in the lectionary. Mm-hmm. So I'm picking up on some predestination theology here. Is that mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, God's control in here is a big, big theme. Mm. So how would you how would you preach something like this then? Yeah, I, it's a tricky one to preach, mm. but I think there's a way to pull that thread that really would work well in a sermon for a contemporary audience. I think there's some nuance to that uh, predestinationary theology, the theology of God's providence in this story, that would actually be pretty helpful in a sermon. Because the story, on the one hand, goes to great lengths to show that everything that happens here was God's doing. God once again successfully overcomes an obstacle to the promise, and uh, Abraham can go to his ancestors in the confidence that his own son will continue that legacy of special attachment to this unique God. But at the same time, within that sequence of providential events, there's a whole heck of a lot of human agency too, right? Mm -hmm. You've got Abraham who initiates this quest. The servant joins in by taking an oath. Rebecca's own kindness that she gives at the well to the servant is the signal of her being a good match for Isaac. Even Laban makes like a good faith negotiation of marriage for his sister. 
And Rebecca gives her own consent to go to Canaan to be married to Isaac. Yeah. So I think there's there's a sermon in there about how even while we put our trust in God's providence, in God's sort of orchestrating of events, we make the choice to participate in what God's doing in the world by our own actions. In a way, we, we get the opportunity to cooperate with God as co-agents in doing good in the world. And I think that's a pretty profound partnership. Mm, yeah, you said that, and you, you, you framed that a lot better than I did. I said predestination, you framed it as providence. And those two are related, but I think for those who feel squeamish with this idea of God orchestrating everything, um, there's less squeamishness around the idea that God is providing for all of us in all situations. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think provision at a time like this when... Um, you know, it just makes me think of, we're, so we're still at this point of recording it, we're still under the coronavirus pandemic and um, thinking of supplies running low, you know, that very real physical uh, supplies, masks, swabs, all of that kind of stuff that need to be provided that mm-hmm. are running low. And and just that theme of kind of provision in the midst of all of this. Um, yeah, I be- think so. I mean, the both of those uh, theological themes, predestination and providence, are important to reflect upon. But predestination in, in sort of the popular sense, you sort of picture a, a, a puppet pulling strings. Right. And the, the temptation there is to react that to that kind of a doctrine as sort of like a limp puppet just waiting for God to pull <laughs> on the string that will pull you into action. But providence has more of a sense of partnership, of, of mm-hmm. collaboration with God in what's happening in the world. And I, I think that comes out in this story pretty clearly. Oh, as you say, we see that in Rebecca too. She's, I think she's the second person who's told to leave her family in the Bible. You know, the first is Abraham and Sarah and the second is Rebecca, which is kind of... Yeah, amazing. that's really interesting the way that her call to come yeah. to Canaan to marry Isaac kind of mirrors Abraham's own call. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, other, the other sort of nuance here that might be helpful to some people, you noted that this comes in the lectionary on July 5th, the day after Independence Day in the U.S. Mm. So, preachers, if you wanted to tie in to that celebration, I might suggest giving sort of a twist on the holiday by emphasizing that this text doesn't teach rugged individualistic independence, but rather teaches our profound dependence upon God and upon one another. Mm. This, this text, like so many in Scripture, is about community and partnership not necessarily independence. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also an important message, especially this Independence Day weekend, when we're still struggling against the pandemic, whose mitigation is gonna really require our partnership and cooperation with each other, locally and globally. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, those all sound like great sermons that I would love to hear, so thanks for the prep this week, Tim. No problem. Preachers, if you enjoyed this, please subscribe, please share, please shout it from the rooftops, please use another S word that I can't think of right now. No, that's a bad S word. Please just share and subscribe. We'll stick with those two ones. Uh, And we hope that you have a, a blessed and happy 4th of July. Until next week, I'm Rachel Wren. And I'm Tim McMinch. Happy preaching.